Welcome to the 208th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our review of the NBA and NHL playoffs, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in Major League Baseball, where Patrick went 3-1 and one with his weekend series predictions. Since those were the only predictions for the weekend, Patrick went 3-1 and one combined. That brings him to a 739 and 478 overall record, a 60.7% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? I had to do a little bit of a uh, mathematical adjustment there um, last week. So if you're wondering why the win percentage didn't go up at all, that is why. Don't really know why, but the stuff didn't add up when I was looking at the spreadsheet, so I just decided to adjust it to whatever did add up. I don't actually know what's correct at this point, but um, I just did whatever added up naturally, and that's just how I'm going to leave it at this point. Um, But specifically in those predictions, the Yankees took two of three from the Dodgers. Actually, interestingly enough, I picked against, or I picked, there, there were four common teams from last week to this week, leading to the same record. Uh, Picking against the Dodgers was the correct pick again. The Dodgers rotation is just a little bit lopsided right now, and as a result, you're seeing some results that maybe you wouldn't be accustomed to seeing um, from this team in other other seasons, um, especially playing against good teams like the Yankees and the Rays. Uh, But the Dodgers did lose that series. Uh, I predicted that one correctly. The Rangers swept the Mariners, which I predicted correctly. On the wrong end of the sweep, the Blue Jays swept the Mets. Um, That's after I had finally picked a series involving the Blue Jays correctly this year, last weekend, but couldn't carry that magic over to this weekend. And then last week, I picked against the Diamondbacks, or I picked picked for the, I picked the Diamondbacks to win their series. They didn't. This week, picked against them. They did lose their series uh, again. Um, So this time around, I get a correct pick out of that last week. I predicted against them, but they, or sorry, predicted for them again, uh, but they actually did win. They lost that series, so lost two weekend series in a row, just like the Dodgers. Uh, Those two were in lockstep in that division. Really no one threatening from behind other than the Giants a little bit. The Padres have continued to play pretty poorly, but we will get to all that when we talk about MLB, but overall pretty satisfied with the predictions. Hopefully those teams don't play Great teams next weekend so that I can actually predict some different teams every once in a while. Okay, well, uh, Patrick's predictions, again, will be posted this week on Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And at this point in time, you're 60.7, 60.6. I don't think you know, we're on the margins here. You're about a 60, 61% accuracy over a long period of time. So hopefully our listeners understand that. Let's move on from the predictions to our weekly look at the NBA, and since the NBA is in the NBA Finals, it's just a look at the NBA Finals where the Nuggets and the Heat are tied one game apiece. Yeah, in this series, there's not too much to glean out of the first two games in terms of who has the advantage. I mean, it's really just been an even series. Um, The Nuggets have had moments where it looks like they're just going to steamroll the Heat in both games, and then the Heat finally showed some life in this game in the fourth quarter. With Well, they had a good start to the game as well, but really in the fourth quarter was where they really looked impressive. But I'll go back to game one first. The Nuggets won that game 104-93. to uh, It started off 
with the Nuggets taking a 9-point lead at the end of the first quarter and then a 17-point lead into the half. The Heat outscored them by 10 in the fourth quarter, but by then the Nuggets were already up 21 going into the fourth, and that uh, little bit of outscoring in that fourth quarter didn't really matter too much, obviously, uh, in the grand scheme of things. It was Nikola Jokic, uh, as normal, who was the guy leading the way for the Nuggets. He had 27 points, 10 rebounds, 14 assists on 8 of 12 shooting. Jamal Murray had 26 points, 10 assists, and 6 rebounds. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. had 14 points and 13 rebounds. Aaron Gordon had 16 points and 6 rebounds, including 12 points in the first quarter. So the Heat really just weren't stopping anybody. I mean, the one saving grace for them was that Michael Porter Jr. shot 2 of 11 from 3, and overall Denver only shot 8 of 27. But considering they still lost that game, that really wasn't a good sign for them. Um, And obviously... That kind of carried over into Game 2 in that shooting performance. But on the other hand, before I go there, the Heat, they didn't shoot too well in Game 1. Jimmy Butler only took 14 shots. He had 13 points on those 14 shots. Uh, 7 rebounds, 7 assists as well. So it was a solid game, but not necessarily his best game. Definitely not the most aggressive. And the Heat also only had two free throws overall as a team in this game. So really just not playing with the level of intensity, with the force that they need to to win an NBA Finals game. You just can't only shoot two free throws in a game like this. It's just not going to work out for you. You have to play a lot more aggressive than they did in that game one. Uh, but before I move on to that game two, Bam Adebayo also had 26 points on 13 of 25 shooting. Gabe Vincent had 19 points on 7 of 14 shooting. And to be quite honest, if Bam doesn't have a great end to the series, Gabe Vincent could be your Andre Iguodala-esque finals MVP uh, this year if the Heat are able to pull out this series. But speaking of his performance, let's move on to the second game of uh, this series. In that second game, it was Miami evening things up at one apiece. They won 111 to 108. Balance contributions across the board for Miami. The big difference was their shooting from three. The Nuggets, as I said, shot 28% from three in game one. They shot relatively, they shot better in game two, but not by much and not by enough to counteract the fact that the Heat were 17 of 35 from 348.6% as a team, as well as 38 of 78 from the floor, 48.7% as a team overall. So just a way better shooting performance uh, by Miami that was able to give them the win there. Jimmy Butler with 21 points on 7 of 19 shooting along with 9 assists and 4 rebounds. Uh, Kevin Love was inserted into the starting lineup. He had 10 rebounds and and 6 points as well, which were pretty important in this game. But really, just helping the Heat being able to match up with Aaron Gordon on the defensive end and not having to have Jimmy Butler guard him and then have someone else on Jamal Murray was kind of the big difference there. That was a pretty... I, I, I would like to say that, you know, Spolstra does push the right buttons at the right time all the time for the Heat, but I, I'm not going to lie, that was not maybe one of... I'm trying to phrase it. I'm not trying to say that it was a bad adjustment or that it was, um, you know, an adjustment that really didn't do much, but I really just feel like any coach could have made that adjustment. It was pretty obvious that they needed some more size to guard Aaron Gordon. I don't really think that adjustment was too, I don't want to say wasn't too brilliant. I mean, it, it definitely takes a lot of guts to change your starting lineup one game into a series, but at the same time, pretty much everybody in the world was calling for that because there has been no team that has made look made Aaron Gordon look that unguardable other than Miami. 
And, I mean, the option was right there on the bench. You have Kevin Love. He has finals experience. He has all of that stuff. Um, so it's kind of a pretty easy call for Spolstra, but definitely still pushing the right button. And it paid off, as I mentioned, with those rebounds. Aaron Gordon did not have a good early start to the game, didn't have a good start to the game uh, in general, only ended up with 12 points total after scoring 12 in the first quarter um, in the previous game. Most of those points just not coming in as much of a flurry, just really in the flow of the offense, which is a big difference um, from what happened in game one, where it really did all feel like it was all in a flurry uh, for him. But you keep looking down the stat sheet for them. Uh, Bam had 21 points, 9 rebounds on 8 of 14 shooting. Gabe Vinson had 23 points on 8 of 12 shooting. Uh, Max Struess had 14 points on 4 of 10, which, you know, that wasn't uh, an amazing performance, but at the same time, he had he was 0 for 9 in Game 1, I think, from 3, so anything is better than that performance, and he had all of those four threes in the first quarter. And then Duncan Robinson came in in the fourth quarter, had 10 points off the bench uh, on 4 of 5 shooting, so just a really good performance overall. Uh, by the Miami Heat. And then you have, for the Nuggets, Jokic, who had 41 points in this game, but no one else above 20. Jamal Murray only had 18 points on 7 to 15 shooting. And Jokic was limited as a facilitator, which was a big thing uh, for Miami. It really felt like that was the emphasis they had, other than being more aggressive, um, getting to the free-throw free line more, which they were able to do 20 times, so plus 18 from Game 1. Um that felt like the biggest emphasis that they had other than just, you know, playing tough or getting to the rim more was making Jokic into a scorer, not a facilitator. Nuggets are definitely a worse team when he is not necessarily only a scorer, but when he's not making plays at an elite level like he normally does. When he's held below his season average in assists, they tend to struggle a little bit more. Um, and as a result, e even if he is scoring a lot more than his season average, and that's exactly what happened in this game, he had 41 points on 16 of 28 shooting and had 11 rebounds as well, but the four assists meant that really no one else in the game was able to get involved as much as they normally are. Uh, as I said, no one else above tw no one else above 20 points other than Jokic, Murray with 18, and no one else above 12. And so overall, just not balanced contributions across the board from the Nuggets, and that was due to the Heat limiting them defensively and making sure that they made that a, a point of emphasis making sure that Jokic couldn't be as much of a facilitator, and it worked perfectly. And the Heat now able to even up the series heading back home. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, besides Nuggets fans are happy with the results of Game 2, a Heat fan, and then people like us who don't really have a rooting interest who just want to see a great series. So looks like we're going to have a, a long series and a competitive series, which didn't appear to be the case after the first game and really the beginning of, of Game 2. Uh, well, let's move on to the NHL. Also in its conference, also in its finals, the Stanley Cup finals, where the Las Vegas Golden Knights lead the Florida Panthers one game to zero. Well, not much to talk about in this one because, after all, it was only one game. Uh, but look, Vegas came out. They played a very good game. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky not having uh, an amazing series so far, obviously. It's only one game in. But uh, Florida scored the first goal of the series on a shorthanded goal by Eric Stahl, but Marcheseau answered back on the power play for Vegas, then Shea Theodore scored another goal uh, to make it 2-1 to one Vegas. And then at the very end of the second period, Anthony DeClaire had an unassisted goal right off a of faceoff that looked like it deflected off of um, a Vegas player, had a really weird angle on that shot. I think it was deflected. I'm not quite sure, but I'm, I'd say 85% sure that it deflected. Um, and... After that, it was all Vegas in the third period. 
uh, White, Cloud, Stone, and Smith with goals in the third period to get one of those being an empty net goal. But still, uh, three goals in the third to give Vegas the lead. Uh, the real story in this game was just the fact that Florida just didn't have any power play uh, success whatsoever. They were 0 for 3 on the power play, only took three shots over the course of the three uh, power plays that they had. And just overall, that is kind of what ended Florida's game in, in game one. I mean, obviously, they still have the ability to rebound in game two and maybe steal one on the road like they have so often um, from other teams. Obviously, they have the lowest seeds. So they've been winning road games all postseason long to get where they have been or to get where they are now. Uh, but Vegas, it really does feel like they are kind of a different animal, even though, you know, technically, obviously, uh, they played Florida played Boston, and that is a better team in terms of points, and Carolina is no slouch of a team themselves, but it just feels like Vegas is bringing some level of intensity that those teams weren't quite able to bring maybe since the beginning of the Boston series against Florida. Um, so overall, I would say that Vegas is looking pretty good uh, in the series so far, but it'll be interesting to see if Florida can bounce back. But for now, looks like Vegas has taken control pretty easily, but that's really all I have to say about it because we're only one game in. Yeah, although some uh, astute announcers who know a little bit about hockey actually said Vegas didn't even play their best game. They won 5-2. to two. So uh, if they play at their best, this could be a very quick series. Uh, that being Wayne Gretzky's opinion. All right, let's turn our attention away from uh, final action in two major sports. And the heart of the regular season um, is underway in Major League Baseball. So let's do our annual, our weekly review of MLB, starting as always in the American League East. Starting with, of course, the same team lead as we have seen all season long. It is the Tampa Bay Rays, although... They're starting to lose their grip on uh, best record in baseball. It's getting pretty close between them and another team that we'll talk about later, um, whose initials are also TR. I might have just given that away because I don't think there's any other teams who satisfy that. Uh, but the Rays still in first in the AL East, still with the best record in the American League for now. Not with the best run differential, but still the second best in all of baseball at plus 122. They have scored 355 runs this season. Uh, not exactly in first in terms of runs allowed. The Twins are better. The Rangers are better. The Astros are better. Um, the Braves are right there with them, just one run behind. Um, the Padres are only one, two runs behind them, but obviously that ship has kind of sailed there. Um, but look, the Rays maintaining their division lead, 6-4 and four in their last 10. They are playing solid baseball as they have all season, although I think there is a point that you can go back to where they've actually been under 500 for the last week and a half or so um, after losing that series to the Cubs as well and narrowly avoiding a sweep. And then the Red Sox obviously got the first game off of the Rays, but then the Rays took the second game of the doubleheader on Saturday and then also took the game earlier today. Um, so overall, or I guess at this point it would be yesterday by the time this gets uploaded, but uh, the Rays still in first place, still doing their thing. But you know who else is doing their thing? It's the Baltimore Orioles. They are third in the MLB in wins, just behind the Rangers and the Rays. With 37 on the season, they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Uh, playing good baseball, like I said, I still don't believe that their starting pitching can hold up for a postseason run, but I think that still people that are expecting this team to regress uh, just because of the starting pitching, they will be proven wrong. They're going to be good enough to still make a very good regular season team. I just don't see how long it can last when you consider that 
most postseason teams are pretty much the opposite of the Orioles that that have a lot of success, you could say, where, you know, you have the 2019 Nationals who were kind of limping into the postseason and had a really rough start to the season, but their pitching staff just carried them through it. I don't think the Orioles have the, the type of guys to really do that at all. Um, they're, if anything, like I said, the opposite, where they don't have the arms, but they definitely have the bats. Uh, we'll see what happens with that at the end of the season, but speaking of a team that does have the arms and they're about to get some more back, that's the New York Yankees, fresh off taking that series in L.A. They've now won two in a row. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10, 36-25 overall. Aaron Judge, if he's not going to go on the I.L. for his toe injury for running into the Dodgers' bullpen, uh, is easily going to lock up the MVP for the second year in a row. I don't really care what Otani's doing pitching because, honestly, what Judge is doing in terms of run prevention on defense is pretty much just as equal. And the gap in in hitting between those two right now is astronomical. Um, the only guy who can really measure up to Judge hitting-wise is Jordan Alvarez, and he hasn't even had that type of a season this year. So that's really not going to happen there um, in terms of guys challenging Judge. So it looks like he's got the MVP unlock as long as he can actually stay healthy. Um, there is some concern, though, because he didn't play today. Aaron Boone originally said he was fine, and then today he said... We'll see how he feels today and then tomorrow and then the next day. And obviously he didn't start today's game. So it's hard to glean anything from it. I don't know if you can take away that much. But if he is going on the IL again, that obviously would open the door because at that point he would have at least 20 games missed over the course of the season if he never missed a game in the rest of the season. Probably will miss a few more than that as well, though. So definitely going to miss some games there for Judge. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't go on the IL, he'll probably be... Um, the MVP, and I think he's kind of locked that up. But, you know, on the other end of things, you have the Blue Jays. They've kind of struggled for a little bit, but now getting things back in a high gear, winning four in a row, seven and three in their last 10, still eight and a half back in this division at 33 and 27, which is crazy when you consider the fact that they would be leading the AL Central by two games. Uh, Just, you know, that might be an AL Central reflection more than anything else. But the Blue Jays definitely playing a solid season Um, and you know, they've had their struggles. People have said they're underachieving. I actually would say they're not underachieving. They kind of just downgraded their roster between last year and this year. That's a personal opinion. Um, but you know, I I think maybe if it's not at least a downgrade of the roster, it's at least just the fact that, um, their guys that they've had for a while just aren't performing to the levels that they have in the past, specifically Alec Manoa. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi has been better than he was last year, but at the same time, he had enough flashes last year that it's pretty much even. Jose Barrios, kind of the same story. So the Blue Jays really feel like they're just going to end up in the exact same place they were last year. We'll just have to see what they do when you get to the playoffs, see if their offense can carry them through it, see if Kevin Kiermeyer's defense and that improvement in center field can uh, help them, and also maybe if that keeps George Springer healthy and keeps his bat in the lineup because he doesn't have to play Uh, as dangerous or as taxing of a position. And then finally, in last in the East, you have the Boston Red Sox 30-29. and Not, you know, there's nothing terrible about this team. There's nothing amazing about this team. They're a good baseball team. They're solid. They still have some of that, um, you know, kind of embarrassing Red Sox the last two seasons in them where they just can't play defense for some reason. They let Yandy Diaz get a a, uh, Little League home run today on a hit-and-run. Um, But other than that, I mean, you know, the Red Sox, they're okay. They're not going to contend for, they're the one team that I can firmly say will not contend to win the AL East, but they definitely could make a push for the wild card um, if one of these teams were to slip up and if, you know, 
I mean, it, it'll take a lot because the AL is pretty stacked top to bottom. Uh, they would need more than one of two. They, they would need two or three of the Yankees, Blue Jays, Orioles, Rangers, and Astros to just kind of fall off. And even even then, they'd still need the Guardians to not storm back in the division and still end up higher than Minnesota. So there are a lot of ifs for the Red Sox making the playoffs, but I do think that they can at least make a run at it, at least stay close by the end of the year. Uh, not going to contend for the division, though. So the Orioles are an interesting story. Third best record in baseball, but their run differential is like plus 30. Uh, wonder what their expected or luck luck factor is. Probably one of the luckier teams in baseball, maybe, or just winning a lot of close games. But very interesting to see how long, like you said, they can hold it up. Um, all right, well, let's now move to that division where everybody in the American League East except the Red Sox would be in first place, uh, and the Red Sox would only be a half game back of first. That's the American League Central. Well, I will say, going back to that Orioles point that you just made, if anything, I think it's that weak pitching staff that I've talked about where it's actually not that they're winning a lot of one-run games. It's just that they're actually just getting hammered at a lot of their losses where their pitching staff just has some really, really, really bad outings. Um, I'm specifically going to out one player that, you know, this is never good to do, but the fact of the matter is, you know, Grayson Rodriguez was a huge, huge prospect uh, for the Orioles, and he was the number one overall prospect in baseball, but when you look at his stats this season, it just hasn't been a good season for him. He got sent back down to the minors. I'm trying to find his ERA. Yeah, he has in he has a 7.35 ERA, 37 earned runs, and 45 innings, so all of his starts you can kind of look at, and you know, that'll be pretty indicative of what I'm talking about. Um, they lost, for example, they lost 12 to two in one of his starts. They lost nine to five in another one of his starts. They've actually done a pretty good job. Somehow he only has three, he's actually only pitched in three of their law in, they've only lost, excuse me, three games that he has pitched in, despite the fact that he has a seven, three, five ERA in the season. But you know, it, it is those types of games that they occasionally have that I think is the reason why their run differential isn't as good as you think. On the other hand of things, you have the Minnesota twins who have the fewest runs allowed in baseball besides the Houston Astros. So this team, having some resurgent pitching performances, Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober, uh, and then Sonny Gray really being kind of out of nowhere. Well, I won't say out of nowhere, but he's kind of a dark horse Cy Young candidate at this point, a little bit reminiscent of Zach Gallon's year last year. Uh, Sonny Gray with a 2-1-5 ERA in the season. Pablo Lopez, I think, top 10 in strikeouts uh, in, the, in MLB. Joe Ryan... Seven wins on the season. He has a 2.76 ERA. Bailey Ober, as I said, a 2.33 ERA. Uh, and then the other starters that they've had have been good when they've been healthy, but you know haven't been healthy all season, like Tyler Malley and Louis Varland. Um, and then Kenta Maeda has only made four starts, and he hasn't been too great in those starts. But the fact of the matter is, this rotation has been really good. Uh, their bullpen, you could argue, has been even better. Yoan Duran with a 1.17 ERA on the year and eight saves. Just overall, a really, really solid team, especially pitching. But, you know, their offense has been uh, not too great. Somehow, they still have the best offense in this division, despite the fact that every team in the AL East has at least 13 more runs scored on the year uh, than they do. So that's a little bit surprising. But look, that run prevention that they have is good enough that their run production doesn't matter as much. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Moving on to the team right under them, that is the Cleveland Guardians. They are three and a half back. Tied with the Tigers in second place. Uh, the Tigers getting swept in a divisional series this weekend by the White Sox. Meanwhile, the, the Guardians taking two of three from the Twins uh, with the return of Tristan McKenzie uh, today, who got the, or I guess at this point it would be yesterday, 
um, getting the win for the Guardians to take that series over the Twins. A good result for them, 6-4 and four in their last 10. Like I said, the Tigers got swept. That was at the hands of the White Sox, who now have the same wins as the same amount of wins as the Tigers. One win behind Cleveland, and that means that overall, um, despite being four games back in the loss column, they're only two games back overall of the Tigers and the Guardians for second, five and a half back of the Twins after winning their last three and being five and five in their last ten. And finally, at the bottom of the division, you have the Kansas City Royals, who are eighteen and forty-one on the season, twelve and a half games back. All right, let's move over to the American League West. Well, as I said, that team that is threatening the Rays for the top overall record, that would be the Texas Rangers, 38-20 and 20 on the season. One game back in the loss column of the Rays for the best record in baseball. Four games back in the win column, but still, um, they're getting closer. They have won three in a row. They are 8-2 and two in their last 10. They are red hot. 376 runs scored. Just really, really a solid performance all around for the last week or so uh, by the Rangers and honestly going back even further than that um, just a really really good team that they've been uh, all year long I wouldn't say out of nowhere I mean I, I have I don't know if we previewed the season that much but I, I cast some doubt on the Rangers pitching staff in terms of can it stay healthy and can those guys perform the John Gray's and Andrew Heaney's of the world uh, and Nathan Eovaldi as well and Jacob DeGrom, especially those two with the health concerns. And the fact of the matter is, DeGrom has not been necessarily too healthy this year. He has been great when he has been there. Eovaldi has been amazing. Uh, over his last, I think, seven or eight starts, he has a .68 ERA. John Gray and Andrew Heaney have both been decent middle-of-the-rotation starters. And really, I did say that was a concern heading into the year, but I also did say that if those two... John Gray and Andrew Heaney could just be solid middle-of-the-rotation starters, and Eovaldi could reclaim what he's been in the past, then all of a sudden, you have a really good team because you already knew that this offense was going to show up, and that is exactly what has happened. So now you have a really, really dominant Rangers team, but still creeping up on them. Uh, the Houston Astros, they are trying to get back into the race here. 35-24 and 24 in the season, three and a half games back. They lost the last game of the series against the Angels over the weekend. But they're still 7-3 and three in their last 10 and did take that series over the Angels. Uh, the Angels, meanwhile, 31-30 and 30, uh, on the season. Eight and a half games back, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. The Mariners are 29-30 and 30 after being swept by the Rangers. And, of course, at the bottom of this division, you have the Oakland Athletics, who have a minus 212 run differential, which is a larger negative run differential than they have runs scored on the season of 206. Just a very embarrassing team, and I'm not even talking about the fact that their pitching staff has 418 runs allowed, which is 40 runs worse than the best offense in the league has scored this season, that being the Rangers at 376. Just overall, we already know this, but the, A the A's are just a really bad team. Uh, yeah, there's no news there. Uh, let's see if there's any news in the National League, starting in the National League East. Well, there is some news here. The Braves have been kind of slumping a little bit. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 I think they're 9-13 and 13 in their last 22-ish, something like that. Uh, but they did win the, the weekend series excuse me, against the Diamondbacks to kind of get some momentum going their way again. But story of this division right now, uh, the Mets have been struggling after... The, the Mets had a big home, game, home winning streak, excuse me, uh, but then lost that series, got swept at home uh, by the Blue Jays. They're at 500 at 30 and 30 but the Marlins, despite having the worst run differential in this division, are 32-28, and 28, just three and a half games back of the Braves. It's surprising to me 
that the run differential between the or sorry the 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 game differential between the Rangers and the Astros is the same as the game differential between the Braves and the Marlins. It's amazing what the Marlins have been able to do this year, winning one-run games. They have won three in a row, although all those games against the A's, so not that impressive. Uh, but seven and three in their last ten, a very good sign that they have played good baseball. Talked about the Mets already in fourth place. You have the Philadelphia Phillies at 27 and 32. If Trey Turner doesn't start hitting, this team is just not going to be good, to be quite honest. Um, they're not good enough pitching-wise and in their lineup. They really do need uh, the leadoff hitter to anchor everything. They've gotten Bryce Harper back way earlier than expected, but even him coming back has not been enough to propel them to the heights that they were able to get to at the end of last year. And then finally, in last place, honestly, once again, a respectable enough last place team, the Washington Nationals, 25-34, and 34. I have lost two in a row, four and six in the last ten. They're ten games back in this division, six and a half games back of the Marlins, despite having the same run differential as the Marlins. Okay, let's move over to the NL Central. Well, this division, just like the AL Central, really, if you want to find a weak division, just look at the Central um, in either league. The Brewers, however, have been pretty good recently. They have won three in a row. They're five and five in their last ten. Uh, they are at 32 and 27 on the season, but they have a negative run differential overall, minus 19 on the season. Um, really some weak run differentials everywhere across this division. The Pirates are the only team in a in a double-digit plus run differential this season, which is crazy to say. Uh, but the Pirates, 31-27, and 27, just a half game back of the Brewers. They went on a big, big, big slump, but all of a sudden they're starting to look like themselves from the beginning of the season a little bit more. They've won five in a row, but despite winning five in a row, they're still only six and four in their last ten, which is a pretty... Uh, bad sign in terms of what was going on before. They just won a bunch of games in a row, including the weekend series sweep of the Cardinals. The Cubs have climbed their way out of the basement. Earlier this week, they had the worst record in the National League, um, and they started the week with the worst record in the National League playing against the best record in all of baseball against the Rays. They took two of three from the Rays, and now they've taken, I think, two of three from the Padres uh, this weekend, which puts them at four and six in their last ten and also puts them five and a half back in the division, a half game ahead of the Reds, and two games out of the Cardinals. The Cardinals have now taken up the mantle of the worst team in the National League, although they had that for a while at the beginning of the season, but now they are back in that position uh, at 25 and 35 after being swept by the Pirates. And then in between those two, you have the Reds, who have lost four in a row after winning five in a row at 26 and 33. Strange division here. You got the last place Cardinals with a plus three run differential. And the first place Brewers have a minus 19 run differential. Somehow that tells me this uh, division could literally turn upside down between now and the end of the year. Um, as you mentioned, the Cardinals getting uh, hot and then now cooling off this, this past week, but still have that positive run differential. All right, let's wrap our look at Major League Baseball moving over to the National League West. Well, it's the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Dodgers atop the NL West tied with each other. Dodgers 4-6 and six in their last 10. The Diamondbacks 6-4 and four in their last 10. Uh, both teams have lost two in a row. They won the first game of their weekend series and then dropped the next two against tough opponents, the Dodgers against the Braves, or sorry, the Dodgers against the Yankees and the Diamondbacks against the Braves. The Braves with 35 wins on the season, Yankees with 36. So it's pretty tough opponents there uh, that those two teams were playing at home. Then throughout the rest of this division, well, every team actually lost the final game of their weekend series, unfortunately. Uh, the Giants, or I guess it's only unfortunate depending on who you're a fan of, but the Giants, they lost uh, to the Orioles today. They have a plus one run differential on the season, 29 and 30. 
they're a they're they're an average team. I really I really can't compliment them that much. I, I mean, I guess in this landscape, they actually would have a chance of making the playoffs. I believe that the Mets would technically be that last wild card team. It would be two teams from every division. Um, or no, I think it what it's six teams overall now. Yeah, it's six yeah. teams in the postseason. So actually, the Mets wouldn't make it. It would be the Braves, the Marlins, the Brewers, the Pirates, and then the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers, um, who would actually share the best, the second best record going into the postseason. But obviously, one of them, just like 2021 with the Dodgers and the Giants, would end up as a wild card team instead. Uh, but the Padres, they are 27 and 32. They have been struggling recently. Just dropped the weekend series to the Cubs. That is not a good thing. That is not something that you want to do. Uh, but the Padres overall just not really looking good in general. Mostly it's an offensive thing. Uh, 235 runs allowed on the season is only behind the Atlanta Braves by one for the best in the National League. But you end up five games under 500 if your offense can't pick you up, and that's what's happened to them. Uh, they've resorted to Gary Sanchez being their starting catcher after he couldn't even make a roster at the beginning of the year. Uh, he was hot. He had two home runs in his first three games, but still not enough to win them uh, many games. And just overall, they just don't look very good. And then finally, you have the second worst record in the National League, the Colorado Rockies at 26-35. and 35. They're 4-6 and six in their last 10. Clearly the worst team in this division. They have a minus 57 run differential, the only team with a negative run differential in this division. Okay, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for the week. That also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will remain on Monday. So the next podcast will be on Monday, June 12th, where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions, continue our look at NBA and NHL playoff action, specifically the finals in both those leagues, and have our weekly look back at Major League Baseball action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games or next weekend's baseball series. That will be posted, as always, on Thursday, and his Major League Baseball power rankings that are updated every Wednesday. All that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.